0: I hope you enjoyed that very well-known clip from the film Chariots of Fire. And uh, if you don't know the background to it, that was the Paris 1928 Olympics. And famously, Eric Liddell refused to compete in the 100 metres because the heats were run on a Sunday. And as a strong Christian, Eric felt he should honour the Lord's Day and not race. So he entered the 400 metres, which was not really his strong point, but the Lord blessed him, and he won gold, and he broke the world record in the process. But did you hear his thoughts as he ran, as he was replaying a conversation in his mind that he'd had with his sister Jenny, saying, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I sense his pleasure." And the question which that sparks off for me, and which I want to put to us all this morning, is, do we think we bring God pleasure? Do we, by how we live our lives, by how we speak and act, do we bring pleasure to God? Well, let's pray, and then we'll have a look. Lord, I pray that you would come by your Spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's my last sermon for three months. <laughs> Feels very strange. <laughs> so, why have I chosen this theme this morning from this Bible passage about the boy Jesus who gets his parents into a terrible uh, flap when he gets separated from them on their journey back from the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Well, if we jump forward 18 years to Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan, when after being baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descends on him and the voice of the Father is heard to say, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God is pleased with Jesus. Jesus has brought God pleasure even before he has begun his ministry of preaching and the good news and healing the sick. And many people note that fact and draw references but not many people make the link back to this passage of the boy Jesus in the temple at Jerusalem. But I think it's crucial and if we follow it it can help us all to be people whose lives bring God pleasure. Does that sound good? So let's turn to the passage. It's on page 1029 of the Church Bibles, or it's printed on your service sheet. We're in chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And on one level, this is just a brilliant human story about some parents who lose their child. So, right now, it's confession time. Hands up if you have ever lost your child. Look, look at all the hands. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's its not so difficult to do as you think. So we lost, we lost Kylie when she was six years old. When We were at Alton Towers with about a quarter of a million people. When uh, one moment she was right beside us, and the next moment she was just gone. Just vanished. And we looked around, and we, we didn't panic to begin with, but then after a couple of minutes of shouting and looking, we couldn't see her, we started to panic. And, and we searched as we might, we couldn't find her. F- for us, fortunately, Kylie, age six, the moment she realised she was lost, she took herself off to someone who was wearing an Alton Towers uniform or whatever and told them she was lost. They took her to reception and the next minute on the tannoy it said, will the parents of Kylie Dolphin please come and pick her up from reception? So anyway, losing a child is not funny. And Mary and Joseph didn't think it was funny either but we'll come to that in a minute. This passage, which is a rare and fascinating insight into the life of Jesus' family when he was still a child, begins by showing us that they were a very devout Jewish family. Because beginning at verse 41, we're told that every year, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. They were a devout Jewish family. And when he was 12 years old, it seems... He got to go with them. Now, some people have suggested that perhaps this was a special trip for Jesus' sort of bar mitzvah, coming of age or whatever. But actually, it wasn't because bar mitzvahs weren't introduced until about the late Middle Ages. And the coming of age for Jewish boys has always been 13 years old and not 12. I think it was simply that he was 12 and it was the first time he'd probably joined them on the Passover. Anyway, after the feast was over, we learn in verse 43 that while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but on the face of it, it seems to me that Jesus was a little bit sneaky here. I mean, I can't believe that Mary and Joseph got up that morning, packed up, and left without ever seeing Jesus. So Jesus must have been with them at some stage and sort of sidled off down a side street or something, off to the temple in Jerusalem. And I think because they were the group of, of, of friends and relatives, could have been quite a large group, amongst a vast crowd of people returning home after Passover, Mary and Joseph must have just assumed he was around somewhere. Have you ever seen pictures on the TV of the, the Hajj pilgrimage going to Mecca each year? The, the, it's the Muslim pilgrimage to, to Mecca. Millions of people. Well, it was exactly like that with Passover feasts in Jerusalem at this time. It's estimated, it seems almost unbelievable, it's estimated that about three million people, three million Jews went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover festival in a city that only probably had about 100,000 population. And so it's really not as surprising as you might think that Mary and Joseph have travelled for a whole day without realizing that Jesus was missing but eventually they do realize and we're told in verse 45 that when they couldn't find him they went back to Jerusalem to look for him but now look at the next verse it took them three days to find him can you imagine how they felt it was bad enough losing Kylie for 10 minutes I can't imagine what it was like losing a child for three days They probably knocked on all the doors of any friends or relatives that they knew who lived in Jerusalem they probably searched all of the likely places that Jesus might have been playing with friends during their stay but eventually after looking everywhere else they finally go looking in the grounds of the temple and that's where they find him cool as you like in deep theological discussions with the Jewish religious teachers and his mother reacts like any mother would her fear of losing him gets converted to anger verse 48 son why have you treated us like this your father and I have been anxiously looking for you and Jesus still cool as a cucumber replies saying why were you searching for me didn't you know I had to be in my father's house but they didn't understand what he meant we're told that they then returned to Nazareth with Jesus and he was obedient to them and I used to read this and smile because I thought it sounded like, oh, okay, so he was disobedient in Jerusalem and now he's obedient when he gets back to Nazareth. But actually, I've now come to realise that that's not what Luke the writer meant at all. I think his comment is there to let us know that Jesus was quite the opposite of disobedient. Rather, he was obedient to God. And it finishes up by saying that Jesus grew in wisdom, And stature and in favor with God and men. And similarly, this is not saying that despite his bad behavior in Jerusalem, Jesus kind of turned over a new leaf and grew in favor with God. It's quite the opposite. It's saying that he grew in favor with God because of the kind of thing he was doing in Jerusalem, because it was indicative of how Jesus would live his life, even at 12 years old, in the temple, putting God first, bringing God pleasure and right through the bible we're shown that the very purpose of creation was to bring god pleasure when god had finished creating he saw all that he had made and it was very good it brought him pleasure and the psalmist says in verse 149 verse 4 for the lord takes delight in his people god delights in us And that is in the context of worship. When we worship God, it brings him pleasure. The prophet Zephaniah says in chapter 3 that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Wow, we can bring God so much pleasure as we worship him that it makes him sing too. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 5 that in love, God predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will? No, in accordance with his pleasure. God adopts us into his family for his pleasure. So here's a question for all of us Are you and I growing in favor with God? are we bringing him pleasure or getting better at bringing him pleasure? I don't know. Hopefully we are but perhaps we can learn a few things from Jesus in this passage about how to do that more and more. So firstly and supremely Jesus makes a priority out of seeking after the father's heart and this account shows us that he puts that before everything else. Now I'm going to wander away from the biblical story a little bit here and say that I doubt that those three days Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus were the only three days on that trip that Jesus spent in the temple. I imagine that while they were there for the week of the Passover, while Mary and Joseph thought he was off playing with the other kids, he probably spent time in the temple courts listening to the religious teachers. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think that because Jesus was the Son of God, that he just automatically had this amazing relationship with God, and that's nothing like us. But he didn't. He cultivated it, to, and, so, and how much more do we need to cultivate our relationship with God if Jesus did? That's why it's so important to bring our children up in church, because building a relationship with God is something which is caught and taught by parents and friends and small group leaders and Bible teachers and youth and children's workers and occasionally vicars. The fact is, Jesus worked on his relationship with his heavenly Father. Secondly, we need the attitude of the 12-year-old Jesus, who listened to the teachers and asked them questions. The Son of God sought wisdom from those who had a lifetime of serving God in the temple. But he also challenged them with answers which amazed them by his understanding. And of course, as you know, in the new year, we're starting a new Alpha course in late January. If you haven't done the Alpha course before, it is a perfect opportunity to sit in a group of people and just ask those challenging questions and share your thoughts and grapple with those things that you don't understand. It's a wonderful experience and you get fed and watered at the same time. I do recommend it. The, the sign-up list for the Alpha course is in the, worship, is in the welcome area outside. Do sign up for the course. It starts in, uh, on the 24th of January, I think. But Jesus is there, asking questions, challenging. I love it when people ask me questions. Um, Sarah Duku, who used to be a regular with her family before they moved away age 14, she used to corner me in the hall afterwards over coffee and uh, ask me the most challenging questions almost I've ever been asked about what I'd preached. And I loved it. There was no chit-chat with Sarah. It was straight in there with, Pads, you said ABC about such and such. Well, what about XYZ? And I'd be going, oh, right, okay. It was great. I loved it. She so wanted to grow in her understanding of God, especially in the run-up to her baptism and confirmation. That's the attitude we all need to have as adults too. A hunger to grow in wisdom and understanding and in relationship with God. I was really pleased. Let's aim for a deeper relationship with God in 2019. So that's the second point. And finally, the third point is an openness to expect the unexpected from Jesus. The last place Mary and Joseph thought to look was the temple. That's why they searched for three days before they went there. It was the very last place. And when his mother remonstrates with him for getting parted from them, he surprises them with this kind of mystical answer, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And they don't get it. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to be prepared to expect the unexpected. After all, as modern day theologian Tom Wright points out, this would not be the last time that two people who thought they'd lost Jesus would return to Jerusalem. Do you remember on the Emmaus Road, the Easter story, two disciples are sharing their anguish over the three days that have elapsed since Jesus' death and Jesus meets with them and explains that these things had to happen. And here is the boy Jesus who's been missing for three days telling his parents that he had to be in his father's house. The two accounts seem to mirror each other or they're like bookends at the beginning and the end of Jesus's ministry. Perhaps the one thing that both these accounts tell us is that just when we think we know who Jesus is, just when we have neatly placed him in the box that we've made for him, we should be prepared for him to completely surprise us and do the unexpected. So let's beware of, of anyone saying, that can't be God because, or that can't be Jesus because, or that can't be the Holy Spirit because. Of course we must test everything, Otherwise, we'll end up swallowing false teaching. But these accounts show us that as disciples of Christ, we must expect the unexpected. When I found faith at the age of 41, the last thing on earth I ever, ever thought I would do was become a vicar. The last thing Kirsty ever expected when she found faith a year and a half later was that she would minister in prisons and bail hostels, to people who had been found guilty of very serious charges. When we follow Jesus, we have to expect the unexpected. Eric Little, who we saw at the beginning, went on to China, where he spent the rest of his days as a missionary teacher, taking the good news of Jesus to that vast country. Now, that in itself was not totally unexpected because his parents had been missionaries to China and he had spent his childhood there before being schooled back in the UK. But he was called to serve in one of the toughest and poorest areas of Hebei province, which had suffered through the country's civil wars and became a treacherous battleground after the Japanese had invaded by then he was married with two daughters and and another one on the way so when it got too dangerous he sent his family back to his wife's uh, home in Canada but he continued in a poor rural mission station until the Japanese sent him to an internment camp. One of his fellow internees Norman Cliff wrote of Little that he was the finest Christian gentleman it has been my pleasure to meet in all the time in the camp I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Another said, Often in an evening I would see him pouring all of himself into the effort of capturing the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humour and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It's rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. Eric Little died in the camp of an inoperable brain tumour in 1945, just five months before liberation. Apparently, his last words were, it's complete surrender, in reference to his relationship with his heavenly father. Eric's number one priority in life was to seek the father's heart. His attitude was to grow in knowledge and love of God. And he was never fazed by the things that Jesus asked him to do. And his motto, which he took to the grave, was complete surrender. Now, we can't come up to the standard of Jesus. And few of us will have to face what Eric Little faced. But in our own lives, in the places where God has put us, we can follow the example of Jesus. We can seek the Father's heart. We can grow in wisdom and love of God. And we can be prepared for the unexpected. Because if, we, if we're not, you can guarantee it's going to happen anyway. And we can daily ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our surrender to the God who loves us so much and desires that we bring him pleasure. Amen.